0: listening to Into the Valley a Phoenix Suns Podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome everybody into the valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by Philip Russell, coming to you immediately after the big Game 5 win in Phoenix. Philip, how are you feeling, my
1: man? Because I am feeling pretty dang good. I'm feeling really good, which is a good thing because my daughter's been asleep like the last three hours, which means I might need to be up for the whole night. But the Suns have sustained my energy tonight with their with their outstanding performance. I, I texted Philip, I think third I got to check here. It was either halftime or third quarter.
0: Uh yes. Uh basically I said, so help me if the Suns kill my vibe and give up this lead in the third. <laughs> And it wasn't because I was fearful or I don't trust them. I was just really feeling good. Like it felt like the first time since Devin Booker's injury that the Suns were playing like the Suns. And I was here for it. And it was an absolute joy to watch. It felt, it felt good. I mean, I don't think I've ever felt this weird complex to where the Suns, I think, shot like, what, low 30s from three? Maybe got to pull that up uh 37 37 okay. they were good 37 so league average not quite I, I don't know maybe suns average it felt like everything was going in like it felt like we shot 75% from 3 in comparison to the horrid games we've been watching but not just that this wasn't a one man show uh, and we're going to talk about that as we were trying to figure out real quick how we want to break this down but just first impressions before we start breaking this down philip game 5 in a nutshell what was it to you that
1: made this game have the result that it did? Mikhail Bridges is really good at basketball. Thank you for that. No problem. But in a more and we'll get to that in just a second. But in a in a more serious way, the Suns as a team are really good at basketball and they did a lot of things well tonight, both in terms of some of the execution on offense and defense, and then With the hustle plays, there were several hustle plays that it it seems like the Suns haven't been making this postseason. I'm thinking of one in the third quarter campaign and McHale, I think were on the left Uh sideline, and Cam saves the ball from going out of bounds, gets it to McHale. McHale almost loses it out of bounds. And as he's jumping out of bounds, he tips it right to JaVale for an easy dunk. JaVale's only basket of the game, I believe, but good stuff like that. Really good stuff and some execution stuff that we'll get to a little later. But a well-rounded performance from the Phoenix Suns tonight. What's so funny, though, uh,
0: if I'm not mistaken, I think we're thinking of the same play. Reggie Miller made a comment, and he said something to the extent of, it's like every 50-50 ball is bouncing the Suns' way. And I get the idea, but I immediately was like, no, the Suns are just fighting harder. Like, for the last four games the pelicans were fighting harder for those 50 50s for those toss-ups and tonight the suns brought it and, and that was it for me the suns took a punch in the mouth and they came back ready to fight and it was it was great and we'll break down a little bit more of of how that went down but my excitement got the best of me here let me go ahead and hit a quick pause to say thank you for listening thank you for watching if you're checking us out on youtube hello welcome to the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. We are Into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast brought to you by the good folks at the Brightside Podcast Network. And last episode, for those who watched, you got to see a, a treat of the brand new baby, uh, Lydia Russell, who is now two in one in her son's fandom. So let's go ahead and keep that win percentage in mind. And if you're watching, you get to see this gem of a sweatshirt I busted out here. This sweatshirt, for those that just saw me flashy, basically, this was the good luck sweatshirt from last year. I busted it out. I didn't think I needed to. I didn't. There was no way I thought I would need to in series one. But you know what? Sometimes you got to slide all the clothes down on that, the clothes rack, pull out the one that's got a little bit of dust collecting on it and be like, baby, I need you tonight. And that's exactly what I did. I I pulled out this lucky sweatshirt cuz I felt like we needed it. I felt like this game was a was a must win. I not to say I don't trust the boys to take care of business, but it would have been really hard to win two in a row given the context. I think it's easier to win two in a row if it's 5 and 6, a lot harder when it's 6 and 7. And so, the Suns absolute fantastic win And in terms of how to break this down, we usually do a quick chat. Well, if it's if it's a non post game episode, we have an in-depth chat about what do we want to talk about, how we want to break down, whatever. These post game pods are a little different. We hop on the mics, goodness, five minutes after the game concludes to where I if you listen to any of the other post games, my words make sense half the time. Uh, I'm usually too excited or really sad. And Philip kind of keeps us level and keeps us steady. And I appreciate him very much for that. But tonight, we said, what do we talk about when we want to talk about everyone? And so, Philip, you know who we're going to talk about tonight? Everyone. We're going to talk about everyone. So go ahead and buckle up, post game pod listeners, because in a win like this, a full on team win, there was no way I was going to say, let's just go quarter by quarter and talk about the highlights or who, which one player stood out to you, false. We're talking about everyone, starting with the most minutes down to an Aaron Holiday stint on the court. We're covering everyone tonight because tonight was a team win top to bottom. I don't have a segment on Monty, but I feel like he deserves one too. Let's go ahead and kick it off where probably everyone thinks <laughs> we should be talking about, probably everyone's talking about him right now. Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail. Had himself a night. I texted you all caps McHale Bridges a number of times, should have been more. Uh, I got to a point on Twitter where I just kept thinking I should just continue talking about him until I can't anymore. I even tweeted at Ryan McDonough and thanked him for the trade. And any true Suns fan knows giving any positive credit to Ryan McDonough is a tough pill to swallow, but you know what. Zaire Smith and a first-round pick from the Miami Heat do not equate to what I saw on the court tonight. Philip McHale-Bridges, what did you see tonight? What did you love? Why am I in love with this man?
1: At the risk of sounding redundant, because he's really good at basketball. Still true. More specifically, he he's like the classic utility player in baseball. I don't know how many tools there are in baseball, like hitting base running fielding catching throwing whatever it is that's mikhail on the phoenix suns he can do a little bit of everything and you saw flashes of that tonight we already mentioned the hustle play with him falling out of bounds tipping it to javel to get that assist a couple not a couple four knockdown Mm -hmm. three pointers a couple good drives off the dribble and then the defense oh the defense Mikhail on Brandon Ingram tonight was a problem for the Pelicans. And that has not been true throughout the course of this series. Ingram has, and let's also, flowers were flowers to do. Brandon Ingram's so good. And there were times tonight where he was single-handedly keeping the Pelicans within reach of this game to make the game feel maybe even closer than it was. This was McHale's best game defensively of the entire series it might have been the Suns' best game of the entire series defensively he was it was a master class from Mikhail. I don't I don't know I can't conceptualize a better possible game that McHale can have in this particular series I,
0: here's here's my thing let's go back to our question that we ended the last episode on we're talking about what do we do with the Brandon Ingram problem And we kind of came to the solution, let the guy Cook take care of the rest. Tonight, what we saw was a heavy dose of McHale on Brandon Ingram. I'm very, very excited for NBA.com stats to come out. Uh, I am very, very excited to see the Ingram while guarded by Bridges numbers. I think they're going to be phenomenal. I think the eye test is going to be pretty close to spot on. Question for you, do you think that was the game plan or do you think that came out of necessity as Jay Crowder continued to get in foul trouble? Because I feel like as I replay the game, I thought we saw it pretty early in the first. Like, I don't think this
1: was a a late switch. I think this is a Monty thing. I think it's a both end. I think the volume of it might have been because of some foul trouble. But I think the plan was to bring in Aaron in in some stints, put Aaron on CJ, which frees up McHale to get on BI, which frees up Jay to use his savvy veteran moves when he can stay on the court without fouling to be kind of a ball hawk, like a safety, when he's coming in and swiping down at BI or swiping down at CJ off of a guy like uh, Jackson Hayes. So it was part of the scheme. I think the volume of it might not be this game, but it worked out brilliantly tonight. The starting lineup as a whole was, was
0: fantastic. Um, plus minus everyone in the positive cam at a plus six was the lowest DA at a plus 19. We'll get to him in a little bit, but no, I agree. Mikhail played 47 minutes, which I mean, goodness gracious. Can you imagine playing every game of the season? The dude hasn't missed since he's been here in the league, and he's playing coming out 47 minutes with one night of rest between a hard-fought game four.
1: And he's, he's playing 47 minutes, and at the end of the game, he's leaking out in transition, running <laughs> the court, beating everybody down the court for dunks that seal the deal. So this dude just has an energy. Gerald just tweeted a quote from Monty's presser. Monty said, talking about McHill's defense, we want to put him on everybody. You can't clone him, but you wish you could. Seriously. I, and I'm
0: curious too. One thing, and I thought about this as I was, <laughs> but g- quick pause. I have to listen to our own podcast. I edit it. But again, as I was listening to ourselves talk about uh, the, the rotations on the defensive end, who's guarding who, I did have that thought as we were talking about Bridges shutting down CJ. I was like, What if we don't need bridges on CJ for CJ to keep doing what he's been doing? Because if you look back, he's gotten hot from three a few times in a, I'm not gonna say uncharacteristic way, but that's not usually where he's going. And outside of that, it's been high volume, low efficiency, reasonable point totals. And we saw tonight the Suns were able to put a mixed bag of defensive pressure on CJ and still be just fine. Uh, He ended shooting let's see seven of 22 which sounds very similar to every other game of this series Uh, and unless I just missed something he was guarded way less tonight by McHale than he had been all the others not to say that the other guys are doing McHale level defense but it just seemed that it was working and part of me thinks if McHale's guarding BI BI doesn't have that alleviation of pressure that he had to create for other people and maybe that's getting a little to if this, then this, then this. But Brandon Ingram having his life just be miserable on the offensive side of things seems to make life miserable for all the Pelicans on the offensive side of things. Do you
1: think we're going to just see a copy-paste come game six? I don't know. I'm on Twitter right now, I'm just trying to get in some of the quotes and such. And there are there's a report that I just saw from it looks like a local Fox affiliate in the Phoenix area, and one of their reporters said they saw Booker walking off the court saying, I'm back, which means if he's back for game six, a lot of this changes. But if Booker is still out, then you would say, yes, do pretty much exactly what we saw tonight. But like we mentioned last episode, With Booker back in the lineup, Booker on CJ is a really good matchup for the Suns if his hamstring is healthy enough. And if that's the case, then Mikhail on BI even more, Jay on Jackson Hayes like we saw, and I think that is outstanding for the Suns.
0: Yep. Uh, Our man Flex tweeted out right after the game a very uh, wink-wink type tweet about uh, booking it in game six. I don't know who knows who, and I don't know who knows what. We've seen lots of predictions from lots of folks either work or not work. But all I'm saying is I've seen from multiple people as I'm scrolling through here that it seems like a Booker return is far more probable than maybe we expected. I feel like from the official end of the valley stance, I would just say the likelihood is higher than we thought. Mm -hmm. Is that a, a
1: reasonable way to straddle the fence there? Yeah, and let me, let me go out on a limb for my thing with Flex. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call what he does reporting. He has sources and he talks about his sources, but even some of the stuff like when, when Booker initially went out and some of the wording of his tweets, he's not reporting. He's talking a lot of times in code about what he's hearing from his sources, which is very different from what guys like Gerald are doing who are beat writers for the sun. So it's just two different things. Mm -hmm. Like Gerald is reporting directly. A lot of times you see, he's saying Monty said this insert player here said this flex has the information. And he's saying, here's what I'm hearing from my sources. Those are just, they're just different things. But what I saw was a Fox reporter saying I'm in the building. I saw Devin Booker say I'm back for game six.
0: I mean, I hope they're right. I hope he's
1: right. I hope they weren't looking at the wrong guy. But I uh, hey, hold a, it. pause. That's a, <laughs> pause with Devin Booker's fit tonight. You could tell with his oversized shirt, brother. He looks good all the time. I'm not. We- I'm not criticizing the fit. I was just saying he had a very distinct looking fit on. Always. All right, Ethan. Not quite Ben Simmons, but yes. You ready to move on from McHale? Yeah, we are 16 minutes in and we got like nine more players to go. Uh, I think McHale
0: played so many minutes. We needed to give him so <laughs> yeah, many minutes and yeah. so the rest will follow. I don't anticipate talking about old busy for, for 15. So I think we're all right, but look, look in the camera again and look at who you're talking to. You want to talk about busy for that long? Nah, I'm I'm no, I'm playing. I'm just kidding. All right. Next up after we talk about McHale, once again, with 31 points, my goodness, Chris Paul, 22, 11, and 6. In terms of the minutes, he is clocking in at 39. Now, that was a very first half weighted 39 as Reggie Miller would not shut up about as he could probably put together an hour and a half movie with just his quotes about how gas Chris Paul looks. That said, Chris Paul did look a little tired and got the breather he needed before putting on a great performance down the stretch with some caveats that we must discuss. Finishing with 22 points, 11 assists, 6 rebounds. Philip Chris Paul, for you in Game 5,
1: what'd you see? First half, first quarter was, I loved it. Hunting his shot early on off the pick and rolls sets the tone that he is a threat when he's coming off that pick, which means... It's late words. Hayes. There we go. Hayes, JV. They have to come out and respect his, pull up his little fadeaway that he does. That opens the floor for DA, JaVale, when he's in a CP3. It means they're going to have to help from the strong side. It means they're going to have to crash down a little bit more. When he hunts his shot and he does it consistently throughout the game, the Suns become extremely difficult to guard. And let's do, let's actually do this right now. Down the stretch of the game, one of the things that I saw was that, and David Nash at the four point play on Twitter does an excellent job calling his shot as to when the Suns are going to start running this. But the snap, this main pick and roll that we talk about all the time, Chris Paul made it really hard on the Pelicans when they started running snap because the Suns run that action and the Pelicans did what you're supposed to do, which is switch the guards. The problem with them switching the guards is that was allowing CJ or Alvarado to switch onto CP3. And what the Suns were doing immediately off of that is they were putting that weaker defender into the pick and roll just straight up with DA. So they were were putting a weaker defender into that action and like we just mentioned it's an action that CP3 already scored consistently out of earlier in the game. So CP3 is a threat in both of those actions with the initial snap action, with the counter with the pick and roll with DA, and that's really hard to guard when he's been knocking down shot after shot over the course of this game. Even if he didn't have a particularly efficient night, he still showed that he was a threat out of those out of those sets.
0: And I don't mean to go incredibly uh, on the other side the non-analytical side here strictly from a physical standpoint I also thought it was a very intelligent decision given the progression of the game so far Chris's MO is create for others in one through three take over in four physically he didn't seem capable of taking over in four in game four he looked worn down annoyed a little bit pissed at Alvarado and new Orleans as a whole. And it, it seemed to mess with him. And I love if you've got it in your bag to attack and get yours, do it in the first, when there isn't momentum pushing you one way or another, when your body still feels like it can do it, because here's the thing. He doesn't need them to be tired for him to do what he needs to do, right? Like run the plays, run the actions, You're either going to get your good look, which we saw repeatedly, or you're going to create for yourself. And that man does not need to rely on other people's tiredness to get his. Sometimes it's just a, hey, this works. This is the formula that I've been running with for goodness, what, 17 years now or something like I loved it. My legs are feeling good. They're not ready for this. I'm going to set the tone offensively. I'm going to set the tone. I'm going to get us out in front. And then they're on their heels and then he's able to take a step back. And I just thought, I don't know if it was a Chris reading of the game. I don't know if that was a, a coaching decision, but I loved it. I thought it allowed everything to open up for everyone else, which we saw because once Chris became, like you said, such a threat, the amount of attention and gravity that was coming his way started opening up those lanes, started opening up those back doors. We saw Jay get looks at the rim. We saw a lot of stuff happening that we don't typically see in first quarters of Suns games. And it was it was fantastic. And again, the dude finished with 22 and 11. It's still a good Chris Paul stat line, but he was able to take a much needed break. And I thought that was great. I do want to give, we'll, we'll try to cap it at a minute. Uh, As a Suns fan, I I try not to always be too biased here or get too annoyed when things happen. I thought Chris doing what he is doing with Alvarado in terms of taking it down by himself with no help, I I don't know if it's a pride thing. I don't know if it's a just not thinking about it thing. But to me, there are more important things than you showing up to 21-year-old and and crossing him over to avoid an eight-second call. Like, that can't happen. And then the technical foul. That can't happen. Because the game was at a point where it could have been a momentum swing, and if we were sitting here after a loss and looking back at a Pelicans 8-0 run that happened immediately following, boy, I'd be annoyed. Like, just as a fan of basketball and a guy who's watched a lot of basketball in your life, am I being too hard on Chris Paul for this one?
1: Or is there maybe a little something to it? No, just because of the timing. If you get, if you get a tech on that in the first quarter, second quarter, who cares? It's a point at a, at a spot in the game where the points don't weigh as heavily. But the fact that it was the fourth quarter, I think under five minutes left, was it did not look particularly wise. It had, it had to be close to that. And
0: Ingram, I think, missed that free throw. He did. Which was nice. At least he was kind enough to not take that point away from us. But man, that that had me really peeved. Like it was just it was stupid compounded with stupid. And you just can't have that. Because again, I think I think a big part of the game four loss was the mental breakdown. Like the mental toughness wasn't there. And there was just that little pit in my stomach saying, Please don't let this happen again. Do not let this happen. Patrick Beverly light type of dude get in your head in a situation like this. So again, I don't want to be too hard on Chris. I think he had a great game overall, but, but if I see another eight second call in a playoff game, let alone a fourth quarter technical, I might lose it. Uh, Anything else on Chris Paul before we move on to the third highest minutes getter. All right. Let the love fest begin. Cam Johnson, my boy, uh, Eight points, nine rebounds, not numbers that are just going to jump off and excite you. The dunk, on the other hand, hopefully that got you out of your seats. I know I went nuts, as I always do when Cam Johnson does basically anything. Tell me your thoughts on Cam Johnson
1: in game five. What'd you like? that? That dunk was a set play. I'm expecting on Twitter that someone has already broken it down. I am one- hundred percent convinced that was a set. They saw something. They saw how the Pelicans were defending the Suns as the ball came up the court. And I'm I'm very confident when I go back and rewatch that stretch that there was intentional movement from the Suns to clear out the right side of the court. That's Monty. Brilliant. Here's the other thing. The points the shooting not particularly great for Cam Johnson tonight. Nine rebounds is huge, is huge. We've been saying the Suns, JaVale, DA, they needed rebounding help from the wings and guards. Got it from Cam Johnson tonight. Got it from Chris Paul at a pretty important stretch in the game. There was a miss where Chris Paul was on the right side of the basket and smacked it back to the left side of the basket for the Suns to secure the rebound. Really good stuff from Cam Johnson tonight. And then the stat we didn't put up, because it's it's maybe even more unexpected than nine rebounds. Five assists yeah, for boy. Cam Johnson, including a couple, may, maybe three of those, maybe more than three, going to his twin, Mikhail Bridges. couple back cuts, and then I know he kicked one out for Mikhail to hit a three over BI, which was huge. Really good decision-making from Cam Johnson. Had a couple turnovers, but five assists to two turn, turnovers. You're looking at a two-and-a-half assist-to-turnover ratio for the kid. We'll take it. Now, Philip, I wasn't going to bring this up, but
0: one of our listeners tweeted at us and reminded the- and brought this up. Game 6 is on a Thursday. If you are a listener, a regular listener of Into the Valley, you know about Cam Johnson Thursdays. If you don't, go back and listen. In a nutshell, Cam Johnson either replaces himself with a better version of himself or has some weird chemical reaction internally, but he becomes a different person on Thursdays. And that is a man who does not miss shots, scores a lot of points and is just an absolute machine. Uh, we tweeted out not long ago, the final camp Johnson Thursday numbers, but it was like 57% or 61% from three on a lot of attempts over like nine or 10 games. It's a phenomenon that will eventually be studied in the history books. That said, it's, a, it's
1: Isaac. We need to we need to shout him out. His name is Isaac on he, Twitter. He's at you. after Tiger after Tiger 25. He tweeted at us and said, I'd just like to point out that game six will be on a Thursday. Dot dot dot. So he, Isaac, he knows. you're
0: a real one. He knows you're a real one. Isaac's a part of it. He knows what's going on. Uh, game six is on a Thursday. I cannot tell you how happy I would be if Cam Johnson goes Cam Johnson Thursday. Oh boy, that would, that would be great. But again, I want, I want to rein it back in and focus again. Five assists for Cam Johnson, huge. Nine rebounds, huge. Just another reminder of what a team win can look like to where Cam finishes with eight points. I think he only knocked down one three. I think he was one of four, one of five. They're gonna fall eventually he's too good of a shooter for them to not fall eventually when he gets going, and even the one right like even the small contributions from behind the arc make a difference they They slowly make people believe that they can hit a shot uh just ask campaign about that and we'll get to him in a second uh Anything else on Cam Johnson before we move on to the what what's what's shaq calling him the Bahamian beast, I believe something like that. DeAndre Ayton, the man is making me fall in love with them all over again with another stellar playoff performance, earning every bit of the Brinks truck that Bobby Sarver is going to have to back up to his door one day. DeAndre Ayton finished with 19-9. and nine. Once again, I I think it proves how good of a team game and a team win it was. These numbers don't just jump out as, oh, he took over. Like this isn't a 30-20, 30-50, whatever But if you watched that game, DeAndre Ayton just continued to stand out. And I just got to bring up, man, like his efficiency as a scorer, I think is underrated. Maybe not by Suns fans. I think we get it. But if I'm a national media member who probably hasn't watched the Suns that much uh, or has crapped on Ayton because he wasn't Luka at some point in their career, if you're watching these playoffs, you're watching a dude with a stupid high ceiling, in my opinion, on both ends of the floor. Uh what stood out to you the most out of DA? I, I can I raved about him on Twitter tonight. I thought he is just he played out of his mind once again as an escape valve, as a just consistent, just a constant that they could be counted on, uh, which is needed in a game like this. What do you like out of
1: DA? Two things. Efficient shooting, and he battled inside. JV man, he is making some tough shots yes. on Da. I feel like a lot of them, especially when DA's is guarding him, are difficult. He's not getting a lot of easy looks, or Aiden's not letting him box him off of his position. I'm really happy with the fight that he's putting up because, like we talked about with Bi, these guys are going to wear down. You wear him down. You wear him down. Putting him in pick and roll actions making him go straight into DA's chest on the offensive end. These are all, these are all really good things that add up DA standard, which is crazy to say 19 and nine standard. Exactly what the Suns needed sign him. Yeah.
0: The dude, the dude was fantastic uh, defensively. I know he's not the go bear of getting big blocks and whatever, but the fact that he's being able to play as physical as he has while staying, I'm going to knock on wood here. While staying out of foul trouble is a huge testament to his verticality, to his intelligence on when to move, when not to move, when to attack, when not to. He is battling a grown man. And there are very few men in the league that make Aiden not look like the grown man in the relationship. But goodness, JV's huge. I mean, like Steven Adams, Aquaman, huge. And Aiden is. Absolutely playing out of his mind. And I want to make sure we give him all the love in the world uh, and that Sarver gives him all the money that he can because that dude is playing some fantastic basketball. Uh, moving on now, this might shock you. So far, all that we've talked about are starters. The next player has more minutes than one of our starters, uh, foul trouble being a big reason Landry Shammett. Six points, three rebounds. Now, there are a large, alarmingly large number of Suns fans that I've determined and learned about on Twitter that aren't a part of the Shamit gang. That's fine. The Sham Wow, the whatever you want to call him, I don't care. I love the guy. So I'm going to go ahead and start and put my bias on the forefront of this conversation. I thought Landry Shamit, once again, played very well. And I'm going to tell you why. This is, this is the thing that stood out to me the most. And it's not a stat. Usually I like using numbers to defend my points here. But Landry Shamit played tough, tough defense on BI, on CJ, whoever. And he continued to battle the entire time. Now, some people are going to go look at the stats and be like, yeah, Brandon Ingram hit five of six on him or whatever. Here's the deal. Brandon Ingram was hitting those shots on McHale Bridges. He was hitting those shots on insert anyone on the Suns. So here's my thing. If Landry Shamit is willing to tire himself out and physically wear himself down on the defensive end against Brandon Ingram, who once again, he's going to score no matter what, might as well make him work. But by doing so is alleviating pressure and work for the other four guys out there. That is a job well done. And I thought Shamit, was just great. I mean, he just stuck to the ball handlers at all times. He was fighting through screens. He was right where he needed to be. Quick feet did not get blown by, which is, I just hate how crapped on he is. He moves his feet so well. He is quick. His lateral speed is great. He stays in front of the guy. And that is all he needs to do. Because that's gonna make life harder on the offensive player and make life easier on your four teammates on defense. I thought Landry did great. I will be done ranting. What'd you see from Landry?
1: Yeah, we talked we've talked about this before. He got skinny really well tonight, which means he's able to get over the pick and stay with the ball handler very well. It especially stood out to me when he was guarding CJ when they were putting him in a pick and roll action, CJ did not get a lot of separation on Landry. And there was even a stretch. I think it was at the end of the first half when I, yeah, end of the first half I texted you and I put it in my game notes, Ingram and CJ hit really hard shots over Landry, but he was all over them. He was all over him. I haven't, I haven't watched Landry closely to watch his off ball defense, but what I can say is I'm very pleased with his on-ball defensive performance. He's making life hard on CJ. And what that does is when he's able to get on CJ for a while, that means McHale can go on BI.
0: So I I was watching him off-ball a little bit. And the way I describe him defensively uh, is a lot like a soccer player who's on the other side of the field from where the ball is. And this might be a weird one, but I've watched more soccer than anything else highlights film over and over for many years. One of the most fun things to do about watching great soccer players is to watch them in a game without ever looking at the ball. See where they are at all times, and it's funny because the ball will be other side of the field, yet they are always making tiny movements to make sure that they're in the optimal position to get where they need to go as quick as possible and landry off ball a lot of the times looks like he's taken a bunch of tiny little steps. Uh, it cracks me up, but I love it. And it's just this, I am going to be active. I'm going to be moving. I'm going to move where I need to. And he just, he just seems really just in it, man. Like he's just in it. He's focused. He's not sleeping. And And I just, I just think it's undervalued. I think what he's providing is undervalued and offensively two of six, not a great shooting night. But both of the shots were big. The three came at a time when it was needed. And then the, I think, moving to his right mid-range from about the free throw line also came at a, hey, the Pelicans are starting to eat away at this. Get a bucket, settle down a little bit. I thought I thought he did well once again. Three rebounds isn't going to hurt anyone either. Uh, good contribution. Anything else from my boy Landry before we move on to Jay? I will foul you many, many times. Crowder? Coming in at nine points, two rebounds, two assists. But you know what? Nine points for Jay Crowder this series is uh, quite an accomplishment. What do you? What do you like from
1: Jay tonight? Not a lot, <laughs> but but we'll, there was we'll find st- it. There was a stretch in the third quarter, at ten fifteen, he missed a three pointer that would have put the Suns up by twenty. It led to a layup for the Pelicans, which cut the lead to fifteen. Obviously, and you kind of felt like. Ooh, was that, a, was that a moment in the game? Shortly thereafter, Jay scored five big points to keep the Pelicans lead, or to keep the Suns lead over the Pelicans at 16. Little stuff like that during the game, during a playoff run, where maybe the Pelicans are about to get some momentum and Jay just keeps him at arm's length.
0: I thought one of the things that I liked about him was that he was finding ways to be involved offensively in that first quarter. Uh, And he just, he seemed determined to get the ball in the hoop and it didn't have to be from three. And I think Jay, a lot of the times is I'm going to force this three pointer to go in because that's what I'm here to do. And we saw him get a couple, at least one bunny underneath. We saw him get the, and one later. Uh, I actually think he has as many and ones as he does three points made this series. If I was doing my math right, I think he's got two or three and ones, not that many threes. But no, I I thought he did a good job of still finding a place to give value. The fouls were were tough, right? Like if it's you're guarding BI the whole time and you're just like, I'm going to be overly physical. This is what I've been called to do. That's one thing. I didn't think that was it tonight. Uh, I don't think this impacts much of anything. I just don't think it was a great night from Jay. Do you think that he could be uh, on the uh, list of potential drop five, three or six, maybe five or six, three pointers in game six list? Cause I think, I think someone's going to do it. I think someone is going to
1: go off Thursday. I'm hoping it's cam, but I could see it being someone else. I don't know, dude. Would you ever want to bet on a J Crowder over under three
0: points made? Can, I want I want to share with those listening. I don't know if you've ever said it on the podcast, but I think it's a hilarious sentence that you've said many, many times. I never think a J Crowder three is going in. <laughs> you have said that so many times watching games with me. And it's just this like, eh, probably not, probably not. <laughs> but when it goes in, it's great. And we're thrilled. Uh, but I want you to know this series, man, is he's you've been right more than you've been wrong. Uh, by a, a wide, wide margin. Uh, let's move from a low point to, I think, one of my favorite high points from this game. Campaign. Campaign desperately needed to do something. And now I I see your face. This was not a stellar performance. This was not a campaign of old that many of us fell in love with and counted on. But given what we've seen in the first four games, I think this is a big step in the right direction. Finishing with 12 points, three rebounds, a couple big threes. What did you like from campaign? And then I'll go ahead
1: and tee you up. What did you not like from campaign as well? Thank you. Because he had half of a great performance, which is to say he played well in the first half, and he drop, didn't in the, in the second half. He did not play well in the second half. He was awesome, man. He was great in the... In the first half, hit a couple of big shots, went to the lane and took some shots that weren't him floating backwards, falling out of bounds as he threw up a prayer looking for Wait, does he, a foul call. Does he do that? At least five times a game. Oh, okay. Got it. Which I'm, I must have missed that one. That might be an overstatement. But yeah, he was good in the first half. One of the games towards the end of the season, he played and we were like, oh, campaign wasn't terrible this game. That was really good. In the first half, which the reason I bring that up, if that's the bar that we're setting for the backup point guard, there's a little bit of a problem going mm-hmm. on there. But tonight, he wa- he was genuinely good in in the first half, and then the second half, man, and even in the first, the fouls like you can't you yep. can't swipe down, you can't at-
0: check in check in with four fouls and foul three seconds later, I believe.
1: At Brandon, it, like you were Cam Payne swiping down at Brandon Ingram, a dude who got drafted by the Lakers, who played with LeBron, who is an all-star. And you're thinking swiping down on a jump shot isn't going to get a foul called. When you have four fouls, man, it was just like, no. Like that was the worst thing that he could do then. So I went through wide ranges of emotions because... Three minutes later, he comes down and hits a huge three at mm-hmm. the end of the third quarter. So I'm like, that guy, that's the campaign I want, not the dude who's swiping down when he's got 4,000. There, are three and a half minutes left in the third quarter.
0: One thought that I had that is not very basketball oriented, but very funny to me, was who would win in a fight between campaign and Alvarado? Because I think they're both from the same mold. You know what I mean? The, I don't care who you are, I'm coming at you and I will win. Now, do I think that's an accurate thought for either of them to have? No, I don't. But they've got it. And I think they wouldn't be in the NBA if they didn't have it. But I think that's what leads campaign to swiping down at Brandon Ingram. It is the, at times, confidence that can't be matched by what your body can physically do maybe. Uh, But that same confidence is what led him to hit some massive threes and then kindly tell the entire Pelicans team bench and any fans in the stands that he was aware that they were there. I think, unfortunately, given how low our bar is at the backup point guard, I think you take the, the good with the bad in a case like this. What I liked so much with him having such a good first half, was because I thought having a good first quarter was the key to winning this game. We've talked so many times about the Phoenix Suns roadmap, quarter by quarter, and they have found great success when they can build a lead that is big enough that they can take small punches but still feel comfortable and not get rattled. Uh, tonight, they never... Uh, they never were down. They held the lead the entire game, something they've done a few times throughout the season. They also won their 50th game while leading after the third quarter, making the record 50-0, and which is absolutely insane. Campaign was a big reason uh, and a big, I think, catalyst to getting that lead early and sustaining that in the non-Chris Paul minutes as well. So I thought he did his job I think if he did a better job in the second half, this game wouldn't have had any remotely scary moments down the stretch. Uh, But anyway, campaign overall, I think I feel uh, that everyone here has a good grasp of how you feel about that, Phillip. So let's move on to our last three quick hitters here. I'm going to give you a name. You tell me how you feel.
1: We'll move along. JaVale McGee. I think I think this transition can be iconic for our YouTube watchers. I don't have a lot to say about a lot positive to say about Javale, which is why it's nice to have Biombo. <laughs> yeah. Great transition, Ethan. You really cued me up well. Do You
0: know what makes me feel sad for JaVale? I put his stats two points, two rebounds. <laughs> I got to Biombo and I was like, zero points, zero rebounds, one assist. And I said, What's more insulting Putting a stat line <laughs> next to his name that says 0.0 rebounds or just one assist.
1: And I said, I think I'll just put his name on there. It'll get the job done. The fact the fact that the Suns held steady with Biombo is huge. And we, we've talked about this. Suns fans, if you watch closely, you know this. If you watch a lot of Suns basketball, you know this. Biombo can play up to the level of the screen. JaVale can't. He can't do it. JaVale has to drop. Biombo can play up. That's really helpful in this series. He can muck it up when he's in there by playing up to the level of the screen, making life a little bit harder when the Pelicans, especially when they're trying to run the empty corner, pick and roll. I, I was fine with Biombo's minutes. Yeah,
0: I'm glad he got in. I think I'd rather him get his first taste of playoff Suns minutes in this series than uh, later on if needed. We've talked about a couple series where we thought he might get involved. Uh, but yeah, Biombo. Didn't do poorly, did what he needed to do. And last but not least, our man Holiday. Clocking in at six
1: minutes, what'd you think? The only son with a negative plus minus that I don't think is indicative. I would give him a B plus, I think at worst, for his five minutes because he came in and he did a simple basketball play, which makes me like Aaron Holiday so much. He drove his defender hard, brought DA's defender with him, Pivot, kick out to DA, wide open shot, bucket, first possession that he was running point. So in five minutes, he had two assists, no turnovers, three points, did just fine. Had one out of control play where he got bailed out by a call. But if you take that out of the picture, since he did get fouled, Aaron did a nice job filling in that gap for CP3 tonight. Do you think we will see more of Holiday in game six? Yes, because of his defense. I think he can come in when Landry and Mikhail need to be on the bench, when Mikhail and Cam need to be on the bench. Having him in the game to go guard CJ so that CP3 can be off there or so that McHale can be on BI, I think that's really helpful. And I think he can do he can do a really good job guarding CJ. Foul trouble played a big part, but we did have
0: a 10-man mm-hmm. rotation. And I felt like everyone that did play did their role pretty well. Interesting, Tory Craig did not get any run. Do you happen to
1: see anything injury-related about him on Twitter? Because I did not. No, he just wasn't very good against B.I. the last couple mm-hmm. games, especially, I think you mentioned this, especially in the second half. Mm-hmm. So he's not, he's not playing well. Mikhail Bridges played exceptionally well, so no reason to bring in Tory. And what I think the Suns what I think the Suns saw was that they can get away with having their guards on CJ for extended periods of time, yep. which allows huge, which allows Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges to be the primary defenders for B.I. So no reason to even worry about Tory Craig.
0: Yep. No, I agree. Well, as we uh as we go a little along here. What are we looking for in game six? We are looking at a Thursday game. Uh, So, other than looking for Cam Johnson to go off, we've got a closeout game here in New Orleans, a place that we have learned is quite hostile, and the Suns don't seem to enjoy playing there all too much.
1: Game six, other than potentially Devin Booker, what are you looking for? The Suns need to win the free plus three matchup again, or at least make it close. We talked about that in the last episode tonight. The suns won it by three. The suns won it by three. I had them at, yeah, they made 10 threes. So they had 30 points from the three point line and then 16 made free throws for 46 points. The Pelicans only had five three pointers. So they had 15 and then they had 28 free throws so 46 to 43 that three-pointer plus free throws the suns held them even which is something we were looking for after the suns just got dominated at that in in game five that's one big thing the big the big question is how will the pelicans counter mikhail bridges defense what can they do what kind of offense can they generate to get mikhail bridges off of brandon ingram Without then having Brandon Ingram go right at DeAndre Ayton, which I don't think is something they necessarily want. Let's, can we go bookend and sing Mikhail Bridges' praises one more time? I would love it. According to ESPN stats and info, tonight, Mikhail Bridges, when guarding CJ McCollum, CJ shot one of nine. When he was guarding Brandon Ingram, Ingram shot. One of five. Oh, yes. That makes me so happy. He was on JV for one possession and JV scored. He was on Devonte Graham for two possession or two shots and ate him up. Those were two of double blocks. Or blocks. At least, yeah. Yes. Now, if you were listening carefully and doing the math, nine plus five plus one plus two is 17 shots. Statmuse Muse caught this and tweeted out, Mikhail took and defended the same amount of shots tonight. He took 17 shots, scored 31 points. He guarded for 3 of 17 for 7 points.
0: Beautiful. Man, what what a game. And we not going to rehash it all. We talked about this literally last episode. Who was going who was going to be the guy? They needed a guy. I think we said one of the twins. I think that's kind of where we we landed of one of the twins has to do something. And Mikhail just what a game. Like what what a game. Boy am I glad the Suns have him locked up for a while. That contract is gonna be one of the best in the league in no time. Go ahead and write that down. But man, Suns up three to two going back to New Orleans. Got two chances to knock them out. I hope we can do it in one. If you're watching the other side of the playoff bracket to see what's on the, the potential up and up on the other side of things, we've got an interesting jazz Mav series with two teams that don't look so inspired. Uh, Luca looked like he figured it out uh, last night or the night before, but interesting things on the horizons. If the Suns can close it and they need to, uh, Yes or no question, Philip Devin Booker. Is he going to be playing in Game Six? I don't know. I'm not a reporter. You gotta make a guess.
1: Come on, man. What do you think? I'm not going to answer the what do I think. What would I do? No. Only that's bringing how, back only bringing back for Game Seven would be my general position.
0: Dude, that's how I feel too. And I didn't know if that would just be super unpopular, but like the Suns without Booker, when playing the right way. Cannon should beat this Pelicans team. I I'm scared to rush it, man. I don't know what was wrong. Maybe the the media outlet got a report that sounded a lot scarier and the Suns were just sitting on the news they had, but man, I just can't not think of a Kevin Durant type situations that are out there where people get rushed back a little too early. And I I don't want to think about that. But anyway, Game 6 coming up soon. More than likely, we will be coming to you after that game. Uh, Quick quick time check for those that will be watching. It is an early one, 6.30 p.m. Central Time, which for those who are listening or watching out of Arizona, real early for you. Uh, But as I sit here recording a podcast at 12.55 a.m. because of these evening games, uh I'm I'm pretty excited about a little bit of an early game Thursday, Philip. Suns and six, Suns and seven. What are you hoping for? Suns and six, baby Suns and six. Let's speak it into existence, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching again. Find us on Twitter at the Valley PHX. Find us on YouTube at Into the Valley of Phoenix Suns Podcast. If you are still listening, thank you so much. If you will. Hop in the comments on YouTube, say hello. You can just share whatever piece of info you want, whether you think we're right, we're wrong. Let us know, tweet at us, hit us up in the DM, say hi. If you've got any questions you want us to cover on the podcast, we love fan questions as well. But I think think that's about it as we wrap up a very, very fun evening of Phoenix Suns basketball. Philip, anything from you or Lydia, our newest Suns reporter, before we call it a night? Go Suns. Go Sun. I'm Ethan, and for Philip, this is Into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.